Jewish audio on Chabad.org. So uh, this morning we're going we're gonna to study some verses that everybody's very familiar with. You know, some verses of the Megillah that somehow it sticks in everybody's head. And I think that the, the most unusual thing you'll find is that this, these verses you thought you knew and understood, and you, you thought, oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a story. It's way more. There's like, there's like a whole... There's a whole world going on. It's almost like looking at the tip of the iceberg. And all you see is just a little bit of ice sticking out of the water. And then you find out that most of it is submerged. And you also find out that a lot of what you thought you understood or made sense actually doesn't make so much sense until you find out what else is going on. This is kind of like the rest of the story. All right. So with that little preface, we are starting... Pedic Dala today. We're starting the fourth chapter of Megillah Sester. And the fourth chapter of Megillah Sester, of course, follows the first three. <laughs> Which means that you have to know what's going on in the first three chapters to fully and properly appreciate what we're about to learn today, obviously. But specifically, you have to appreciate the very last verse or verses of chapter three to appreciate how chapter four enters and, and um, the message that, that kind of gets communicated with us. In the, end of, in the end of chapter 3, we read about four, we'll call them subjects, and then and there's four kinds of activity. One subject is the rotsim, the runners. What are the runners doing? They went out with great haste. They dispatched a message. We talked about the rule, the law. This is the law of genocide, the plot, the, 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 the decree against the Jewish people. That's called hadas or hadat. What happened? It said it was Nitna Bashushan Habira. The dot, the rule, somehow was given in the city of Shushan more so than elsewhere. That's what it says. Adat Nitna Bashushan Habira. Okay, our next subjects are the king, Achashverosh, and Haman, who, as we have discovered in our previous classes, is not so innocent. And he's not such a tzaddik. In fact, he may be on the polar opposite, and he's not far from Haman himself. What did they do? Yashvu Lishtot. They sat down, they had lunch, they got drunk together. What about the city? The last thing you hear about is Vahir Shushan, and the city, Navoicha, is in a state of meltdown, total uh, state of confusion. Now, Rashi told us about this notion that Ha'ir Shushan, Navoicha, the city of Shushan, is in a state of meltdown, if you will. Says Rashi, what does this mean? Ha'ir Shushan, the city of Shushan, means specifically the Yehudim, the Jewish people who are living. Ha'yehudim Sheba the Jewish people who are living in the city. And Rashi comes, presumably, to answer two questions. First of all, when you say ha'ir, when you say the city, what did you mean? The walls? Like the Sifzeh Chom says, the, the wood and the stone? <laughs> Why would wood and stone? How would wood and stone be bewildered? So we're talking about the people. The people? Why, why were the enemies of the Jews bewildered? They weren't. Who was the Jewish people? And this sets the stage for chapter 4. Umar the Yoda. And Mordechai knew. So what the first question I ask, what do you mean Mordechai knew? Of course he knew. You just said, Ha'ir Shushan Novecha. You just said, the message was dispatched. The dot, the rule, the decree was given in the city of Shushan. The king and Haman are drinking. They're celebrating. And the city of Shushan is bewildered. They're overwhelmed. Who is the city of Shushan? The Jewish people. Who is Mordechai? a very prominent Jew, the leader of the Jewish people. If the city is the Novaycha, if the whole city, if the Jewish population has been thrown into a tizzy, don't you think Mordechai is too? Probably. So before chapter 4 begins, A, Mordechai already knows, and B, if the city is Novaycha, Mordechai is also Novaycha. So what is the Megillah coming and say? Oh, by the way, Mordechai, Yoda, and Mordechai, he knew too. Why wouldn't he know? Of course he knows. He would know before anybody else. And being a leader and being somebody who bore with him the responsibility, he would feel the pain more so than anybody else. Which kind of renders the whole beginning of, of chapter 4 with a big question mark. And that question mark, once we answer that question mark, everything else will become understood. What else has to be understood? Well, Mordechai's reaction is not understood. So Mordechai, the Mordechai finds out everything that happened. What does he do? Vayikra Mordechai as begadav. He tears his clothes. Vayilbash sakva efer. Instead of the clothes that he tore off him, or the torn clothes he had, he put on kind of burlap. Vayetzei, and he went, b'seich ha'ir, he went out into the city. Vayizak za'aka gdola omara. 
He began to wail. He began to weep. He began to cry. He's making a parade, a spectacle of himself. He's running through the streets, yelling, screaming, lamenting, really like a lunatic. He gets all the way to the, to, to the gates, the palace gates. Maybe some of you have been to London, you see Buckingham Palace, you know, there's like streets, and then you come to the... You have to imagine something like that. There's the compound, the royal compound. He gets all the way there, but, but he can't go in there because he's wearing sackcloth. What do you mean? Why did he go all the way there? What was he trying to do? And then, after this, the Megillah tells us, after spending two psukim dwelling on the personal behavior of Mordechai himself, then we go and talk not about the city of Shushan, but now we talk about the sprawling Persian Empire, Bechom, Medina, Medina, in each province where the news comes, well, the Jewish people are doing the same thing. It's Evil Godula Yehudim, there's a big mourning. There's fasting, there's weeping, there's eulogizing. That's really what mispaid means. It's like mourning, post ipso facto. We see ashes and burlap or sack is spread out for everybody. What are the people of Shushan doing? Why only the people far away were doing this? The, the, the whole thing, these whole three verses, which can be encapsulated as Mordechai's mourning or Mordechai's mournful response, and the response then, the wider response of the Jewish population across the Persian Empire is punctuated in riddle question marks. What's going on here? Why is the Megillah telling in this fashion? So the Alshech, in, in, um, in his commentary, he says, not only it doesn't make sense that, that Mordechai knows or how he knows, and that everybody else knows, and it says, Hadas nitna b'shushan abira. So what, what is the Megillah telling us? He says, okay, so Mordechai knows. Your niece is the queen. You've been in touch with her. You speak to her every day. Now you find out such news, that there's a royal edict against the Jewish people. What's the first place you're going to do? First place you go, the first call you make. Right away, the queen. It's like not second in command. The queen herself. You call up the queen and say, listen, we have a problem. Mordechai doesn't do that. Not only he doesn't do that, he wears clothing that disables him from going into the compound, the royal compound. He doesn't even go to see Esther. He goes all the way, but he doesn't penetrate. He doesn't go inside that area. And then he seemingly leaves. Now, well, we're going to see in next week's class how Esther responds. But why did Mordechai, to begin with, do the normal, proper thing? You have to take measures, reasonable measures. He doesn't seem to be taking reasonable measures. I think it's really, uh, it was more prayer to God. To, because it's like... Uh, let me interrupt you. Yeah, a prayer to God. Where are prayers to God usually held? There is no Beit HaMikdash. So if no Beit HaMikdash, where would it be held? In Beit Knesset. In the small Beit HaMikdash. You're right. I'm going I'm to be with you. Yeah, you're right. Very good. It's he, Mordechai is trying to pray. You want to pray? So pray. Since when do we pray in the streets? It's to wake up all... Ah, to wake up the people? So send them a message. Tell the people, listen everybody, I want to see you in Shul tonight. <laughs> so, so Mordechai himself has to go around wearing torn clothes I'm sure he was a very capable person he was a senator he had uh, an office to work to him an office staff people could send faxes or emails at least telegrams whatever he had somebody tweeting for him get the message out get the message get everybody together Mordechai will give a big sermon and he's going to cry with the people and that's actually what he does later so why did he do that to begin with? I think he wanted to send the message how terrible is the situation. Let's, let's, let's say that you're right. He wants to send a message how bad the situation is. Yeah. So send a message. Send a message. He doesn't have messengers. <laughs> was it common knowledge that Esther was a Jew? No. No. Mordecai was in touch with her all the time. He didn't say, don't make a spectacle of yourself. Go quietly and discreetly as you used to go all the time and speak to Esther. And then after you speak to Esther and do everything you're able to do, then you go and pray for success. The whole thing doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Okay. So now that we realize that this whole thing doesn't seem to make any sense, and in the way the Alshach questions it, and the Alshach, I'm not going to go through the actual text of the Alshach, because the Alshach says, if you understand all the Midrashim, which I'm going to share with you now, then all of a sudden everything is going, is going to make sense. But before we continue and go into the Medrash, I just want to direct you to Rashi. So what does Rashi say? Rashi says, Mordechai Yoda, Mordechai knew. How does Mordechai know? Rashi says, Baal hachalom amalo. Somebody came in a dream and told him. Somebody came and told him in a dream. 
Rebbe Sam came and told him a dream. You just said in the end of verse 3 that everybody knew about it. So much so that they were bewildered and overwhelmed. Not some people. The whole city is thrown into a quandary. Everybody is in a state of, of meltdown, of bewilderment. So what did Merachan need a dream for? Just, just walk outside. So Rashi says, the Bala Chalon, the master of the dream, told him, that in heaven, in heaven, it's been agreed. In heaven, it's been agreed. And, and Rashi says, because they had prostrated themselves before the idols, an idol of the days of Nebuchadnezzar, and because they benefited from the Su'uda, from the, the feast of Achashverosh. Now this Rashi is very, very cryptic. But really there's a tremendous amount of information that's being conveyed to us. The Medrash Rabbah says, Mordechai Yoda, Mordechai Nu, Mino Yoda, where did he know from? He says, Eliyahu Novi he did. Eliyahu Novi told him. I mean like, that Medrash doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why did Eliyahu Novi have to tell him what everybody knew? But that's what the Medrash says. Or the Targum Sheni says, He saw in a Holy Spirit. What did he have to see in a Holy Spirit for? Besides everything else, Mordechai is a prophet. We know he was a prophet. So he's a prophet. So why couldn't Hashem give him a nevuah? Why did he need a dream for? Rashi doesn't mention Elio, not Elio. He just says, Bala Chalom. Who is Bala Chalom? The master of dreams? If Rashi was trying to save words, he could have just said Eliyahu. Why Bala Chalom? Eliyahu Amarle. You would understand that Eliyahu means a dream, a vision, a prophecy, something. Bala Chalom Amarlo. In a dream he heard this and he even gets the reasons why. So to understand, to understand this, we have to really take a look in the Medrash. And I'm going to share the, the, the Medrash in the, in, the, in the syntax that the Ma'am Loaz puts it together, because the Ma'am Loaz puts it together from the Targum Sheni and Medrash Shaba and many, many other sources. And he kind of, I'm going to, I'll paraphrase what the, what, what the, what the Ma'am Loaz tells us. But I just, I want to point out one more little thing in the text, that there is a textual red flag. And the textual red flag is it says, Umardachai Yoda. And Mordechai knew. But in Hebrew, it really should have said, Vayeda Mordechai. That's the proper way. Vayeda Mordechai means Mordechai was notified, or Mordechai was, was in the know. Instead it says, um Mordechai Yoda. Mordechai knew, but in Hebrew, it's in English, Mordechai knew. But in Hebrew it would be, Nu Mordechai. As in the knowledge first. Vayeda Mordechai. So this is something in the text that gives us a, a red flag. And something, Mordechai was, became aware of something. He, he didn't just know. He didn't know what everybody else knew. Mordechai found out what everybody else did not know. What was that? So the, so the, the, the Midrashim tell us like this. The moment that Achashverosh sent out this, uh, this, this uh, message to everybody, these... these um, the edict was hatched, the plot is hatched. So immediately it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh, the, 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 at that time there was a tumult in the heaven. And the Medrash says that Samuel, who is the arch evil, uh, the arch evil angel, who is the Tsar of Amalek, the alter ego of Amalek himself, came before God. And as Haman on earth is busy saying what he said, Samuel came before the king. Haman is speaking to the king of flesh and blood. Samuel is speaking to the king of all kings, the creator of heaven and earth. And Samuel says, how much, how much are you going to put up with from these Jews? They turn against you time and again. They're rebellious, they revolt. They don't follow anything your instructors. How, how long are you going to put up with this? Why don't you just once and for all get rid of them? So the, 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 the response of Almighty God to Samuel is, who's going to keep the Torah? In other words, I need my Jews. Samuel says, let the angels keep the Torah. Whatever. Who, who need, it, it hasn't worked. It's not working. It's not working. You had a people, you punished them, you destroyed the base of English. Instead of doing true, they've been more assimilated. This is going nowhere. And the Medrash goes on to say that at that time, uh, all, of the, all of the angels, the evil angels who brought the, the terrible deeds of the Jewish people before Hashem began to pile on. And HaKadosh Baruch said, anybody can speak in their defense? Anybody say something good about the Jewish people? 
and the Pasuk in, in Hazinu, Ashbiso Me'enesh Zichrim is, is, is evoked. I will erase their memory from humankind. And, and, and there's no response. Midas Harachimim says, Lulei, Lulei Kas Oyev. What will the enemy say? The enemy will think that the... And somehow that doesn't work this time. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, what will the Egyptians say if he killed the Jewish people? That worked. This is not working this time. It's not working. And the Medrash goes on to say that at that time, a Megillah, a scroll was brought before Hashem. It's all euphemism and metaphor. And it said, Keloya, destruction of the Jewish people. And the Torah begins to weep and to wail. And at this time it says, Eliyahu Navi suddenly gets the message. So Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet, runs to the patriarchs. And he says to the patriarchs, how long will you sleep in slumber for? Your children are slated for genocide. So they said, why? They said, well, because they did A, B, and C. Bowed to the idols. They, they, they abandoned their faith. They, went, they put their faith in Achashverosh. They went to his feast. So the others said, so what do you want us to do? They blew it. No synagogia. No synagogia. Only kategor, only prosecuting angels. And the Avais, the Avais said, what should we do? What do you want from us? Ma'anu yecholim la'asot. What can we do? Now the Avot already came to our defense when the Beis HaMikdash were being destroyed. Hashem said no to them. Only Rachel Imenu was able to evoke Hashem's mercy. This time we don't hear anything about Rachel Imenu. Last time they came to her grave. They prayed at her ohel, right? Because she was out of the road. So in this way, the Jewish people awoke the spirit of Rachel Imenu. Over here, they're not there in Kevar Rachel. And Eliyahu Navi doesn't know what to do. So Eliyahu Navi sets out to speak to Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did he go to Moshe Rabbeinu? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was connected to the whole story of Purim. Haman was finding the right month. If you remember from a few classes ago, he looked for the... Oh, Adar! That's when Moshe died. Perfect. And we talked even last week, that's why he waited till after the Shiva of Moshe, till the 13th day of Adar. Okay, he said, very good. So he comes to Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and also, Moshe Rabbeinu was the first to lead the battle against Amalek. And now he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Amalek has reared its ugly head. And your children, your, the Jewish people, your, your flock, is slated for, ex- for genocide, for execution. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to Leo, when I started the battle against Amalek, I had Yehoshua. I had boots on the ground. So Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain. The famous story goes, he held his hands in prayer. I don't want to go into that. That's a whole lecture in and of itself, what that meant and how that worked. But Yehoshua was actually leading the troops. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, I had Yehoshua. Who do I have this time? So Eliyahu and Avi says, there's one tzaddik, his name is Mordechai. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, okay, he says like this. If the seal is made of clay, he says, we have a chance. We can pray. But he says, if this, if this is made of dam, of blood, or dioy or ink, in that case it's over. Jig is up. What does this mean? What is the, the, the Mepharshim interpret the Medrash like this. Mepharshim say, mud or clay is, is it's like filth. It's, a, it's something that attaches itself to the outside. So that you can wash off. He said, if the Jewish people sinned, they can do tshuva. But if they went ahead and assimilated, which is blood, they went and intermarried, they went and abandoned, now they've become somebody else. They have different blood coursing through the veins. He says, if, if it's an ink, it's indelible. He says, then, then, then it's over. In other words... Can we bring the people back? Can the people do tshuva? That's Moshe Rabbeinu saying. If it's in their blood, it's finished. Spiritual leukemia, it's over. This is the question. What is the state of, the, what is the, what is the state of affairs? Can the people throw off the dust? Can they wipe off the filth? Can they scrape, scrape off the clay? So this was the big question. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's big question. And this was the issue for the question that's going to be put to Mardachai. Can you... Can you Hold that thought. Yonah and Ninveh is going to be invoked soon. That's exactly what Mordechai invokes. Very good. Eliyahu Anavi now, having secured Moshe Rabbeinu's promise to get involved, now Eliyahu Anavi comes to Mordechai. And now he tells Mordechai about everything. What does he tell Mordechai? 
Mordechai knew what everybody else knew. He knew this is a decree. Okay, so probably he was figuring out how you deal. You have to find the more details. And when you finish fact-finding and, and gathering all the information, then you formulate some kind of strategy. And the Oa Navi comes to Mordechai, and he says, Mordechai Atzadik, this is the situation. This is not just Haman and King Achashverosh. This is Samuel, the archangel of Amalek, and the king of all kings. And there is an edict in heaven that says, finished, it's over. The Torah is in mourning. The patriarchs and matriarchs have given up. Moshe Rabbeinu is the only one who's still ready to go to bat. But he wants to know, is it in the blood? Is it, is it inked in? Or is it just superficial? Can you still wake the people up? Can they be brought to tshuva? And now we understand the meaning. What did Mordechai know? What's Eskol Ashenasa? How did he know everything? So first of all, the people didn't know if Achashverosh was, was feasting or getting drunk. How would they know that? Secondly, they didn't know if Achashverosh gave the ring, if this was Achashverosh's decree or Haman's decree. They didn't know the whole business where Haman floated the idea, like we learned last week, in using his oblique language, trying to see how Achashverosh should react. And then he reacted by pull off the ring. Oh, keep me out of this, but you do it. They don't know all that. So Mordechai knows all that. But it's much more profound. It's much deeper. Mordechai doesn't just know what happened with Haman and Achashverosh. He doesn't just know about the fact that Haman sent two different letters, one to the people, one to the nobility, like we talked about last week, where he's keeping his plan secret to surprise everybody with his other surprise. Mordechai knew that this was a mirror of what was going on in heaven. This event, the event on earth, had really merely been a reflection of a heavenly event that preceded it. He knew as Kolashanasa. He knew what Samuel did. He knew that all the kategorim came, all the prosecuting angels had lined up against the Jewish people. He knew that the Avais said, what do you want from us? He knew that only Moshe Rabbeinu was ready and this was the message from Moshe Rabbeinu. Now when Mordechai Yodes Kolashanasa, when Mordechai does all this, so now what is Mordechai going to do? What's he going to do? He's got to find out, is there anybody home? Are the people going to listen? Now we need what's called the paddles to shock the heart because the situation is comatose. And everybody's in a depression. They don't know what to do. It doesn't say, they became inspired. They said, we have to do tshuva. No, they were just bewildered. They were totally bereft of direction. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Mordechai, acting out on earth, what Moshe Rabbeinu was acting on heaven, but it's interesting, there's a name Moshe Mordechai, it's a very common name. So interesting. Another interesting thing that I was thinking is, that Parshas Kisisa is the Parsha where Moshe Rabbeinu says, erase my name. And Parshas Kisisa has the Ketoros, and that's where it says, the Gemara says, Mordechai min how do you know Mordechai's name? And the Gemara says, because it says, Moir, Mardroir, and Mardroir, which is the first of the Ketorot, is Mordechaya. Mordechaya, say it ten times fast, you get up Mordechai. In other words, Mordechai's name is alluded to in the incense. In the same parsha where Moshe Rabbeinu says, erase my name, that's the same parsha where Mordechai's name is inserted. So there's an incredible synergy between Moshe and Mordechai. And there's a medrash that says, Mordechai bedoro, Kimosha bedoro. That Mordechai was like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who led the Jewish people to accept the Torah the first time. Mordechai leads the Jewish people to re-accept the Torah. As we will learn much later on in the Megillah, Kimu Kiblu. The Jewish people reaffirmed what they accepted at Sinai. So the real sealing of the deal of Torah comes at the story of Purim. Purim is the end of a process that begins in the time of Matan Torah. We were led then by Moshe Rabbeinu. It's brought to fruition by Mordechai. This is an incredible amount of, of, of synergy between Mar- Moshe Rabbeinu and between Mordechai Atzadik. So Mordechai needs to shock the people. He's going to call them to shul. Some will come, some won't come. They're not going to take it seriously. He'll send messengers. No, send messengers. All right, he sent messengers. We're bewildered anyway. Okay, another, another rabbi, another message. Moshe Rabbeinu has to, Mordechai has to do something shocking. He has to make the people realize the jig is up. You either wake up or you're finished. So he, what's the most shocking thing Mordechai can do? By Yikaras Begadav, he tore his clothes. It's shiva. He says, it's over, guys. 
It's over. He's tearing Korea. He's sitting shiva for himself. He's sitting shiva for the Jewish people. First thing he does. Vayikras begadav. And then what does he do? Vayilbashak vayifer. He puts on burlap, which is a sign of mourning. And after he puts on the sign of mourning, and then what's he going to do now? So he does something shocking. But who knows? Nobody else knows. He's sitting in his house. Then it says, Then he goes out into the city. Why is he going out into the city? Everybody should see that Mordechai, that the great rabbi, the honored senator, the leader of the people, is walking around with torn clothes. He's wearing burlap. He's dressed like a lunatic. And what's he doing? He wails. He cries in a bitter way. Why doesn't he go to Esther? Why doesn't he go to Esther? Why should he go to Esther? He knows there's nothing to talk about. He could talk to Esther until he's blue in the face. He knows what happened in heaven. He knows what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Moshe Rabbeinu said, if it's betit, if it's clay, if it's mud, it could still be wiped off. We have a chance. If it's bedam, if it's in blood or it's inked, it's over. Why bother making efforts that are going to yield you absolutely no results? Mordechai knows the only way is first to wake the people up. And the question is, will they wake up? He does the most outrageous thing. He goes all the way up until the gates of the palace compound. In other words, he pushes the envelope. He does everything possible. But he can't do that. You can't do any further. You can't go further. He really would have gone right into the compound. He would have gone into one of the most outrageous thing. But that actually is Sakonis Nefoshis. Rashi says, It's not, it's not, that's not respect. You can't, you can't disrespect the king. There's no point in violating the law, enraging the king. As the Ibn Ezra says, it's a derech bezoyin hamalchus. It shows scorn. And the other Mepharshim say that, you know when people used to wear torn clothes in the palace? When the king dies. So what's Marshall Mordechai going to go around walking as if the king died? A rumor should go the king died and the king will hear I died? He said, who says I died? Oh, the Jews said you died. Well, that's going to go over really well. <laughs> so Mordechai is not doing things to provoke anger of the king. He's, he's not crazy. He is doing crazy things. And the reason he's doing these crazy things, these outrageous things, is to wake the people up. The only way to make people realize he's serious is to do something which is off the charts. Do you understand? Now all of a sudden everything makes sense. It's the whole the whole dollar, what's going on of him? So Yes. He knew Nasa, everything that had happened. This is the bitter truth now. So Mordechai has to wake the people up. And because he has to wake the people up, he goes down in to broadcast this publicly. If you want to get a message across, don't send the messenger. If you want to get a message across, then you have to get the message across all by yourself. Extreme times demand extreme measures. That's the extreme measure that Mordechai employs. And indeed, the Medrash tells us, when the Jewish people saw that Mordechai, their righteous leader, who was the Godel Shabbat, the greatest amongst them, when they saw they began to gather around him. He didn't say a word. He didn't ask them to come. They came by themselves. Understand? His actions spoke much louder than words. His wailing woke them up. They began to gather around him. And once the people had gathered around, not they came because he said, they came because he said, okay, we'll do your favor, we'll come. They said, Mordecai, what's going on? Ah, you want to know what's going on? He said, let me tell you, my dear friends, what's going on. We are in big, big trouble. We are in big trouble. Did you hear about the Gzade of Haman? And they said, yeah, we're all bewildered. And he said to them, Kinnalach, we're in deep doo-doo. Because in Lanu Klei Zion, we have no way to defend ourselves. We have no Navi. We have no prophet to help us. And we have no way to run. And by the way, this is all a reflection of what's going on in the heavens. Why was there no prophecy? Because it says, the Mepharshim say, it's brought down also in Medrash, that Ein Hanavuah Shaira Elamitech Simcha. That in order to prophecy, you have to have joy. 
And that's why it says the Rambam brings us down to Halacha. In Ilkhus Yusayi where he talks about the laws of Nevuah, he says that the prophets used to have musical instruments. They were singing and dancing. They're always in a state of joy. Because only in a state of joy and ecstasy is it possible to have the presence of Hashem. Mordechai was not in a state of joy. The whole city was not in a state of joy. It was a, a gloomy state of affairs. No prophecy. So there's no choice. Elio has to come in a dream. That's why. And Rashi emphasized, it doesn't matter who. The point is he received it in a dream, a dream-like message. Which that itself, by the way, is exilic. That Hashem should come in a dream. He comes to Bilam in a dream. Hashem doesn't come to Tzaddikim in a dream. That, 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 that's the, big, the most telltale signs of the exile. At that point, what does it mean? The Gemara tells us they took out the Arun Kodesh into the street. They took everything outside, which is a sign of mourning. And by the way, we have such a concept when there's a, a very great calamity for the Jewish people. We don't dive in inside. We go out into the street in order to awaken a sense of urgency and awaken a sense of concern. This is not another day. This is not another problem. This is, this is big. This is huge. It's a titanic situation. Something big has to happen. So now we have a little understanding what's going on. After Moshe Rabbeinu did all these things, Mordechai did all these things, and now, as you correctly said, Shoshana, what happens now? The Medrash tells us, the Targum Sheni says, he told him, you know what happened with Ninveh? What happened with Ninveh? Ninveh king went off his throne. And Ninveh, it says, everybody came out, they all put on burlap and sack. It says, even the animals are dressed up in burlap. And everybody came out, and what happened? And Hashem was merciful, and He saved Ninveh. He says, if He saves Ninveh, He's not going to save us. They weren't even Jewish, the Ninvehites. So, so, so I said, what, what, what did we sin? He said, what did we sin? He says, now He started talking to them about their sins. And now He started talking about the terrible things that had happened. And this all unfolded. At that moment, the Jewish people all of a sudden broke out into weeping. Now they realize this is serious business. And they saw that Mordechai is very, very serious about this. There's no joke. And this began to create a bit of a change. This began to initiate the tshuva that Mordechai needs to elicit on behalf of the Jewish people. So this little three psukim, this two psukim over here, Mordechai is not just some, some silly, uh, you know, Reaction, flipping out, losing it, very, very carefully choreographed. It's the only thing Mordechai can do. And interestingly, the news spread. Because if it's only going to be the Jews of Shushan, that's not going to work. So Pasa Gimel tells us, in every single place, in every single place, the news got out. As Rashi says, people brought the royal edict. People brought the royal edict, but the Jewish people also heard what Mordechai Hatzadik was saying. Mordechai Hatzadik was saying, they said, oh, evil God, says the Megillah. This was a great morning for the Jewish people. And what do we have? We have Sakva, Efer, Yutzel, Rabin. Everybody now is getting into the same thing. As Malayas tells us, that you see there's six different expressions of the pain of the Jewish people. It says, Evel is mourning, Tzoyim is fasting, Bechi is weeping, Mispet is eulogizing, Sak is burlap, Mispet, Efer is ashes. This corresponds to the six days that they rejoiced at the feast of Achashverosh. In other words, what's happening now is the Jewish people have realized what, what, where they went wrong, and now they're fixing the problem. They're starting to do tshuva. Now, the interesting question I just want to point out is, if this is the six different levels is for the people who went to the Feast of Ahasuerush, why does it say it in verse 3, which talks about all the different people, all the Jews living throughout the province, only the Jews living in Shushan went? And anyway, what's going on here? Jews of Shushan went to a party. The whole empire gets killed? Hold this thought. My lawyer has an interesting question. He brings that in the, in the, in the, from the different Mepharshim. He says, you know, we have a Tzoros Rabim when you have everybody in trouble together, it's chatsi nechama. So, somehow feels better. Not in this alone. He said, that didn't work over here. Why not? Why not? So very simple. You take a look in the Medrash. The Medrash says, the reason it's not going to work over here is because a person 
loses, God forbid, a child. What do you tell him? They have other children. The person doesn't have children, he has relatives. You try to find things are bad, look at the things that are good. Count your blessings. But over here, what are you going to tell him? Everybody's going to get killed. Count your blessings. Which blessings? <laughs> They're all gone. It's everybody. It's not, like Tagum Shaini says, it's not a third, it's not a half, it's not three quarters, it's all the Jewish people. It's over. All the Jewish people. So, as the uh, Bamalayas puts it, who should give them condolences? Do you offer condolences on ourselves? Who should, who will be left alive? You have all these stories of people in the concentration camps that saying, you know, someday the world will know, someday, you know, leaving messages behind. They knew someday the Jewish people will build themselves. There's somebody far away. Over here, there's no hope like that. There is no hope of any kind of redemption, no hope of any kind of rebuilding. All of the Jewish people are living in this empire, and they're all finished. So this, it's, this is meaning, it's over. Mamleyaz adds an interesting thing. He says, Ahasuerus, Mordechai wants to also make a deep impression on Esther. And therefore, the deep impression, which you're going to see, the next, the next thing we talk about in the next class is what was Esther's response. But this is also choreographed to get the message through to Esther because Esther's going to have to do the most extreme thing on every level, as you will find out. And the only way that she realizes is when Mordechai goes out of his box, so to speak, transcends any of his normative limitations, Esther will understand that she has to transcend any kind of orbit that she had ever been in before as well. So now that we have a little bit of a, a general appreciation, general appreci- appreciation of what's going on, let's address some of the details over here. I'll, uh, in, 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 um, in, in order. Let's, let's, let's do this in order. So the first thing is we know that there's a big decree. Why is there a big decree? It's a decree in heaven also. And the decree in heaven is because Rashi told us two reasons. Because they bowed to the idol in the days of Ahasuerus and because they went to the Suda, to the party. Okay. This is lifted primarily from a Gemara. The Gemara is found in Mesechet Megillah on page 12. And the Gemara says like this. this the disciples asked of Shimon Bar Yochai, why is it that the Jewish people were deserving of this mass genocide in the time of Haman? So he said to them, you say, why don't you, what do you, what do you, you asking me a question? What do you think? So they said to him, because they went to Achshverosh's feast. So Rav Shimon Bar says back, well, in that case, if it was such a venial sin to go to Achshverosh's feast, let the Jews of Shushan be killed. They went to the feast. Why are all the Jews of the empire? Why are they getting killed? So they, they said back to him, okay, fine, you win. So what do you say? So he said to them, I'll tell you why. Because they bowed to a tzelem. Because they bowed, they prostrated themselves before an idol. They abandoned their loyalty to Hashem. So the Rebbe asks a simple question here. If you read this Gemara straightforwardly, the Gemara has a question, as Gemara also often does. This is called, in the, in the language of Talmud, Havamina. We thought it was this. And then the Gemara comes with a maskana. Maskana is a resolution. We thought it was this. In fact, it's not this. What was the Havamina? What did we think? The reason that this decree came was because they went to the Feast of Ahasuerus. But Rabbi Shimon Bayechai himself asks a very powerful question. He responds to that answer with a bigger question. In fact, he presents them like with a checkmate. He says, that, that's not going to work. That would only explain the people who are living in the city of Shushan. And I, I want to remind you of last week's class. We talked about, so, so what's so terrible to go to a feast? Everybody deserves to die. We talked about that last week. We explained that the Rebbe has a beautiful explanation about the 70 wolves. Fine. But still, it only implicates the Jews living in Shushan. So they ask, hey, back to Yerushim Baruchai. Okay, you're right. You're right. Our answer is not a good answer. So what is the right answer? So he says the right answer is that in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, they bowed down to an idol. So why does Rashi quote both answers? It, it, Rashi is, is, first of all, he brings the, the last answer first. He says, Because they bow down to, a, to, to, to the idol. And he says, Ooh, and that they, that they benefited from the Suda of Ahasuerus. So the Sif kind of asked this question on Rashi. 
And the Sif Sircham says, Rashi brings both answers. Afagav, they have today deus ninu. There are two opinions, which is really not two opinions. It seems there was an, a, a suggestion, a supposition, and then that supposition is subsequently demolished. It doesn't make, it can't be. But the Sif Sircham says he brings two opinions. So he answers, the Svita Lehavaha Both of them caused. It was a double. It wasn't one thing. It was two causes. That if not for the sin of the Tselem, if not for the sin of bowing to the idol and embracing a foreign faith, they would not be deserving of this. And if not for having gone to the feast, they would also not be deserving of this. This was This effect sealed the, the decree against them. And since the Khatimat Din was because of the Sauda, so that's why this is mentioned over here. But the words of the Sif Zircham are, are very hard to understand. Because ultimately, go back to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai's question. Then it was only the people in Shushan. Why should the people in Shushan have sealed the, sealed the, the decree for everybody else? And why do you need Zev Zagodim? Why do you have to have both? The Rebbe says the question is even more profound. If you look in the Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash Rabbah asks this question also. It doesn't have the dialogue in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai and his disciples. It just asks the question. Why were they deserving of this? And the Gemedrash simply answers, because they delighted and partook in the Feast of Achashverosh. The Medrash doesn't mention a word about the abandoning Judaism and the embracing of foreign faith in the times of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, why the Medrash says that is not hard to understand, because that happened so many years earlier, so why did they wait till now? If the problem was, Ishtach Vulatzelem, they should have had an issue then. So the Medrash says, no, we're dealing with now. Why did this happen now? The answer is, because the Sudah and the Targum Sheni also brings down only the reason of Su'uda Vachashverosh. So uh, let's ask the question then. The question, the question of Shem Barichai, ask it to the Medrash. That only makes sense for the people living in Shushan. And anyway, does this mean that there's a dispute between the Medrash and the Gemara? Do we have, what, what is really going on over here? So the Rebbe says, this is the proper way to understand the entire episode. And it seems to me that he, he that ever begins where the Sif Zicham leaves off. Sif Zicham introduces an idea but doesn't really explain it. It doesn't, it's not satisfying. So the Rebbe says like this. The truth is, the truth is that we do find the concept of what we call Zev Zegorim. We do find such a concept. But it could be two reasons. One reason itself would not be sufficient but th- there is sometimes another reason also. We do find such a concept. However, However, the the problem with that answer would be that it doesn't implicate everybody. So the Rebbe suggests a different approach. There is the notion that sometimes there could be two things that are done wrong and we're not sure about one until we see the other. In other words, it's not that there are two different causes, but it's only when the two events are placed side by side that a full picture emerges. And he explains. There's a Gemara in Bechayrus. The Gemara talks about a Jew who, let's just say, when it comes to certain mitzvahs, we can't trust him. We see that he's, he doesn't, doesn't take certain mitzvahs seriously. So he said, okay, maybe he doesn't take one mitzvah seriously. But in other mitzvahs, he does take seriously, so he can be trusted with regard to something else. There are some big mitzvahs, like Shabbos. That's, that's not taken seriously, then nothing's taken seriously. Okay. Or idolatry. But there are certain mitzvahs, a person is not careful about one detail. He's not trustworthy here, but he's trustworthy somewhere else. There is such a concept in Allah. So what happens if a person were initially was suspicious about two different arenas, two different areas, and then the person says, no, 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 I'm not going to do, you know, that one Aveira I was doing, I'm not going to do that anymore. That wasn't so careful about kosher. I was okay about kosher. But when it comes to, you know, other, other issues, I, I'm 100% committed. Kosher, I get hungry sometimes. But other, other things I'm really serious about. Okay. And then a person comes along and he says, he says, you know what? He says, he says, he says um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do tshuva. Um, all the other things, I got all the other things in place, okay? I'm, I'm doing all my mitzvahs, all my mezuzahs are in place. And, and I'm, the kosher thing I'm having a little difficulty with. with, with just. Or maybe he says, no, 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 I keep kosher now. That, I, I fixed that. The other things are not so good now. 
He says, okay. He says he keeps kosher now. Fine. And the other things I know he's not so careful with. I won't buy mezuzahs from him. I'm not going to buy tefillin from him. I don't know. But he says he's koshers. And then I find out, the next day I see he's in McDonald's again. They come back and say, one second. You told me that this is the mitzvah you fixed. He said, well, aha. If you didn't fix this mitzvah, you didn't fix any other mitzvahs either. You understand? This, it's like a, the Gemara introduces this idea. So the Rebbe says, here was the thing. The Jewish people did indeed abandon the Judaism. They did profess faith and adulation and loyalty to a foreign deity. And then they said, no, 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 we didn't really mean it. It was just externally, we're just trying to, you know, it's lip service. We're not, we're in Syria. We really still, we want to really still be Jewish. And what happened afterwards? And then when there was a moment where the king said, you better show up at my party, or suggested that you should possibly show up at my party, what happened? They went running to the party. So when, the, when they went running to the party, what does it show us? It showed us that the remorse for the other things is insincere. Because if you really believed in Hashem, and if you really trusted in Hashem, and if He had your loyalty, then you wouldn't go to a party. But the fact that you went to that party because you thought you had to please a king of flesh and blood, even though it meant displeasing the king of all kings, means that essentially... You're never sincere about your regret. You never really did tshuva. Ah, now we understand what Rashi is saying. Rashi understands the Gemara differently. Rashi understands the Gemara that the idea of the Suda of Achashverosh is an important part of the puzzle over here. If it was only the Suda of Achashverosh, if it was that in isolation, a sin of a group of Jews who did a sin, okay, a group of Jews did a sin. But that, that has to be understood in a broader context, of Shimon Baruchai says. The broader context is they abandoned the Judaism. They abandoned the Torah mitzvahs. Not only they abandoned it, they, uh, they adopted foreign faith system. And then we could see that they, they, said they claimed to have done tshuva. They claimed to be regretful and remorseful of those actions. and They really want to be loyal to Hashem. But when the slightest of tests or challenges came, they were running to the party. What does that show us? This is what they felt. And, the, and, 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 and what we have to say here is, the people living in Shushan went because they were living there, not because they were worse than anybody else. The, the spiritual state of the Jews living in Shushan was indicative of the spiritual state of the Jewish people at the time. They actually went. But that showed where everybody else was up to. Where were they up to? I believe in God. Do you really? I'm not sure, maybe. What if the king says, well, I'll do what the king says. Well, the king will protect us. If the God don't protect us, the king, oh, in that case, then you're really in trouble. So now we understand. The Rebbe explains this in a beautiful way. Now we see where both of these things are necessary. Once we have both of these things that are necessary, or that, that, that necessitated the situation, then became the big question. Is this an in ink? Is it in the blood? Or is it only clay? That, now you understand the question of Mordechai asked. The Moshe Rabbeinu asked Eliyahu And Mordechai gets asked the question by Eliyahu What's up with your people? Was going to Achashverosh superficial? Or did deep down, did they continue to maintain their faith in Hashem? Now this gets even more amazing. The Medrash tells us that when Mordechai, when Mordechai uh, immediately after these letters were signed, Mordechai meets three children. It's not talked about inside the scripture. It says, Mordechai meets three children. And he says to these three children, What are you learning? What did you learn in Cheder today? So the children, one says, I learned, Don't be afraid of sudden fright. Don't be afraid of the, the scheming of the wicked that will come to you. Which is a Pasuk in Mishle. Moshe Rabbeinu turns to the next boy. So what did you learn in Cheder? He says, in Cheder, I learned, and he tells him over a Pasuk from Yeshayo, 8th chapter of Yeshayo, Utsu Eitzah Vesufar, Dabru Davar, Vela Yakum. They'll scheme, they'll plot, they'll speak, nothing will happen. Ki because God is with us. Then he turns to the third, and you, and the third child says, Vaad Zikna Anihu, Vaad Seva I'm with him till they get old. I'm not a bad, no matter what happens. Ani Asisi, Vani Esa, I made them, I'll carry them, Ani Esbel, I'll, 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 I will, I, I will suffer them, so to speak. But I, I, will, I will redeem them. I'll, I'll save them. This is a passage from the 46th chapter of, of uh, Yeshayo. By the way, you know we say this at the end of Davening. Now you know why we say it at the end of Davening. Now you know what these Sukkim are. These Sukkim are the most powerful message. And we'll see in a minute. So it says, Mordechai heard these three Sukkim. He started smiling. He was still terrible. He still went and he wailed, but he started smiling. 
So the question, of course, could be, like, what's really going on over there? Is, was he bad mood or a good mood? He's wailing or weeping or he's laughing? What, what happened over here? So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, one of the book of mitzvahs, it's called, there are many books of mitzvahs that were authored, we're, we're most familiar with the Ramam book of mitzvahs, but it's not the only book. There's something called the Smag, Sefer Mitzvahs Godel. It was written by Ramosha of Kutsi, is one of the great, Moshe of Kutsi was one of the great Balayatosvahs. So, in the, in his system, he has a little bit of a different system than the Rambam, in his system, the 51st negative prohibition is to do all kinds of divining. What does it mean to all kinds of divining? That says, um, a person says, the bread fell out of my mouth today, or the stick fell out of my hand, I'm not going to go to this in this place, or I'm not gonna, I won't be successful. In modern terminology, a black cat crossed my path, I walked under a ladder, we're not allowed to do that. And, and he goes on to explain, you know, how to make signs even. And he asks a question, what about Eliezer? Eliezer made signs. And he explains why Eliezer's signs, and not, it's not literal, didn't force it. Eliezer didn't do something unreasonable. He actually did a reasonable thing. He was looking for a wife for Yitzchak. So what's he supposed to look for? He looked for somebody who's kind and compassionate. That's the hallmark of Avraham Avinu's house. So he said, show me a girl who's kind, kind. Show me a girl who's generous. He finishes off with an amazing thing. He mentions the Gemaras that talk about this story with Mordechai, which could also be like an act of like luck. What did you learn today? What did you learn? What? What does that mean? Do what you're supposed to do. Follow what says in Shulchan Aruch. Says the Smag, We found many great people over the ages. Mardukha is not the only one to do this. There are other stories in the Gemara. Sha'amrulayunuka, they said to a child, Why a child? Because a child is innocent. The child has no agendas. He doesn't know what you want. It's pure. And the Smag finishes with the following words. They consider this to be a form of prophecy. What does this mean? So it's brought down that in a time of, of when there's no prophecy, so it says the prophecy is given to children or to fools. I mean, people who can't cloud the message. They don't know what they're saying even. Total innocence. So what Mordechai just received here was a little minor prophecy. What was the minor prophecy? It will work out in the end. Now, when you set out to do something which seems just terrifying, enormously difficult, it's really good to know that you have a shot at it. Mordechai knew to begin with he was going to be able to succeed. He felt that this was an omen, a prophetic omen. Hashem was saying to him, Mordechai, don't give up. He sent him this little message through the children. Go out there. Do what you have to do. You'll see you'll succeed in the end. The Rebbe explains this in the most marvelous way. Takes it out to the next level. He says, let's talk about that Gemara again. What does the Gemara say? What was the problem? The problem was they abandoned a foreign, they, Hashem. They embraced a foreign faith. And then, of course, the Sa'uda, the meal, the feast, is indicative that it was real. That it wasn't just superficial. That they really abandoned Hashem. They really lost their faith. They really weren't trusting God anymore. And then Moshe Rabbeinu wants to know, is it in blood? Or is it clay? In other words, is anything left? Is the Pintaliyid still alive? Is the dot of Jewishness still alive? Because idolatry means that you abandon the very essence. That's the one thing that it says, even a sinning, disassociated, disenfranchised, agnostic, angry Jew, when it comes to the big question, do you, do you, don't you believe? Is there a God? It's not a God. Sidus Nefesh. Pintaliyid, the dot of Jewishness wakes up, says, I can't, I can't abandon this. And my Shabbat needs to know. Is there anything left? The surface is very bad. I see, I see, I see uh, the scarring is intense. But under all the, all, underneath all of that, is there any innocence left? That was really his big question. So Mordechai is going out to try to awaken the Pintaliyid. He's going to try to awaken whatever Neshama is still left by a people who had essentially abandoned God. And the Moshe Rabbeinu doing this, he needs to know Underneath all those layers. That's why he's going and crying. That's why he's weeping. That's why he's making this whole, this whole geshichta, as they say. Comes the question, do they still believe? And Mordechai finds out, yes, they do. How does he know they do? Because he finds these children. And he says, okay, kids, what are you learning? And what did the children innocently say, without knowing what they're saying? They express faith that in the end, Hashem will not abandon them. 
Ah, says, if they're ready for Mesiris Nefesh, if the children say, despite it all, we will not lose hope, we will still turn, we'll turn to Hashem in the end. If that's what the children are saying, he says, then deep down, the rest of the Jewish people will be ready for Mesiris Nefesh if I can only wake them up. And now we understand this Medrash, what, why Mordechai was so happy, and then a moment later he's crying. Yes, he is crying. And there's a lot to cry about. There's a lot to be mournful about. But at least there's a confidence. Mordechai knows he's got a shot. He doesn't give up. He knows I can succeed. So he goes out there, he bangs on the table, yells and screams, walks around with his clothes torn, but he knows in the end that things are going to, with Hashem's help, work out. And we, you know, we all know, as they say, the rest of the story. Now it says there was a, an, an, a, a Mordechai tore his clothes. Tore his clothes. So there's a fascinating medrash. The medrash says, Mordechai tore his clothes. Why did this happen? Why did it happen? So the matter says something very strange. Binyamin Binyamin caused his brothers to tear their clothes. You know who Binyamin is, right? Binyamin is the ancestor of Mordechai. From Shaul HaMelech. So what happened? What happened was when Yosef plants the goblet in the sack of his brothers, and that story in the end of the book of Genesis, where he wants to see if the brothers are really sincere, if they'll come to Binyamin's aid. So it says, when the goblet is found in the, in the satchel, of the satchel of the smallest one, it says, They all tore their clothes in mourning. And they went back into the city and they faced off with Joseph. And then, so the matter says, Oh, Binyamin caused his brothers to tear their clothes. Now Binyamin's grandson has to tear his clothes. What kind of, what does that mean? What did Binyamin do something wrong? The brothers did something wrong. They were the one who sold Joseph. They made all the trouble. They necessitated Joseph to put them in the situation to test their spiritual courage and mettle if they really were Bali Tshuva, if they really regretted and resolved to do differently. <laughs> what did Binyamin do? Binyamin got him. Binyamin caused. Doesn't even make any sense. So the Dubna Magad explains this in a marvelous way. He says, there's a Gemara in Kiddushan that tells us that if a person does something good, he will always be rewarded. But there's a big difference between doing something good intentfully or you did something good without intention. And the Gemara Kedusha brings an, an amazing proof for this. The, 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 there's, an, there's a story about a guy named Bullock. Bullock is a very bad guy. He's, a, he's an anti-Semite. He has a good reason to be anti-Semite. He's afraid. Bilam is an anti-Semite with no cause. Bullock is anti-Semite with cause. But he's an anti-Semite. He wants to curse the Jewish people and destroy them. So what does he do? He brings offerings. He brings karbanot. Of course, Hashem does not accept his karbanot. But the Gemara says amazing thing in Saita. The Gemara says that later, many years later, it says about Shlomo HaMelech that he brought an enormous amount of karbanot. And here, he says, Hashem repays Balak for bringing his offerings because Shlomo HaMelech is the son of David HaMelech who is the grandson of Ruth, the righteous convert, who was a granddaughter of Balak. Now, did Balak have good intentions? No! But he did something good. And the way the Dub the Maggot says, he says like this, he says, he gives an interesting marshal. He says, you may imagine somebody comes up with a shidduch. He's got a great idea for a shidduch. So he goes off and he tries to make the shidduch, and it fails. This side doesn't want that side. Whatever, the shidduch doesn't work. So he comes back and says, okay, fine. Don't pay me, you know, the shadchan gets paid. At least pay my expenses. I, I spent money. At least, at least take care of the expenses. And he, that's, that's the muscle that he uses. He says, a person spent, you expended on a, 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 something, it was a good, a good thing, at least you get your expenses back. You're not making any profit. But you shouldn't be at a loss. He says, Hashem does not withhold payment from anybody. If you spend something, even if it was with the wrong intentions, at least you'll get reimbursed. Minimum is reimbursement. And the Dubna Magad says that this is the concept that everything has engenders a reaction. Everything. There's nothing in the world that is in isolation. Everything is part of an enormous domino effect. One thing engenders or leads to another thing. And of course, none of us live in isolation. There's a ripple effect everywhere. So he says... It's true. Of course, Binyamin didn't do anything wrong. It's not that there's a punishment. It's just that there was a story where the brothers ended up tearing their clothes. And it was kind of because of Binyamin. 
So Binyamin's grandson ends up having to tear his clothes to wake up the rest of the brothers. He said, because you have to see what the Dubda Magad, I think, is really saying, or, or perhaps rephrase this. What the Medrash is really saying is that absolutely nothing in Jewish history happens in isolation. This is all one long continuum. And in fact, the Gemara in, in Megillah, when it, before it starts talking about the Megillah, it spends an inordinate amount of time analyzing the, the, the preambles of the different sages to teach in the Megillah. That they would, they would quote this verse, who quote that verse, who quote the other verse. And what was the reason of quoting all those verses? The Pnei Yeshua explains in the Gemara over there, that's to show you that the story of Purim didn't happen out of nowhere. It's a continuum. Previous prophecies are now concretizing. Things that happened yesterday are now coming to fruition. Because the Megillah is the book of the Bible that does not have Hashem's name. And people could mistakenly think that it's not part of that continuum. It's not a book of prophecy. So the Chum said, no, make, make no mistakes. Before we start to study the Megillah, let me tell you that this Megillah is as sacred as any other book. And it's part of the same continuum. And here we see how everything is linked. Haman, Haman is the Agogi. Haman is, Haman is, Haman is the, is the, is the uh, grandson of Amalek. And this will explain now to us another medrash. The Dubdamag doesn't speak about other medrash, but there's another medrash that says, first of all, that Yaakov wore sackcloth and ashes when, he, when Yosef was taken from him. Same thing. Yaakov's wearing sackcloth. Now it's a continuation. Benjamin's great-grandson has to wear sackcloth. In other words, the Jewish people, it says, everybody puts on sackcloth. Yaakov put on sackcloth, the children didn't. Now they all are wearing sackcloth. Furthermore, there's another very, very unusual medrash, very hard to understand medrash. Medrash says that, that um, the, there was like this complaint. It said to Yaakov, pardon me, Yitzchak, that Esau yelled and screamed and Yitzchak blesses him in the end. If he wouldn't have blessed him, he wouldn't have all the tsaras because he blessed Esau from Esau because of Amalek because of all the tsaras. So what undoes Esau's yelling and screaming? It says the word Vayitzak Tzokok Doilomara says by Esau. Esau's cry brought blessing for him. Now Mordechai with the Vayitzak Tzokok is undoing Esau's Tzokok Everything is in a continuum. Nothing is in isolation. And when we, when, we, when we see when you see this together, another interesting detail is that it says an, an Evel Godel, a big morning. Well, a big morning. So the Medrash asks a question, a rightful question. It says, Evel Godel. So what does it mean, a big morning? What does it mean? What does it mean? Is it a small morning, a big morning? Can't a person, they lost their parents. So, oh, it's a little morning. It could be worse. That's great. Thank you very much. It could be worse. Chaman al a person's mourning a, a sibling, a spouse, a child. Well, you could have lost more. What does it mean? A, a little mourning, a big mourning? What does that mean? So the Medrash says like this. The Medrash says that every Avel, every morning, the pain starts to diminish. The pain in the first day of Shiva, maybe not the same as the seventh, seventh day. A, a month goes by. A year goes by. The sadness gets, it diminishes. He said here was an Avel Godel. The evil God was it got worse and worse and worse. He said, he heard this terrible news. A person has terrible news. You recoil. You're in shock. And slowly you start to recover. Here was no recovery. Every day they said, Vey is mere. It's going to get even worse now. Every day we're one day closer to our, to, to our, to our, to our murder. And the matter says furthermore that the, those who lived in, 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 far away from Shushan, they were even more terrified. It was a big, it was Avil Gadol was over there because the people in Shushan said, well, at least we're living in the capital city. We know we get, our yard site's going to be on the 13th. We're all getting killed on the 13th of Adar. We have a few months still to enjoy life. He said, these people said, you know what? When a, a decree like this comes out, the hooligans are just going to kill us, that's all. It may happen in an hour. It may happen tomorrow. They didn't even have any security. They don't know if they're living another week. They don't know if they're living another hour. So we got more and more intense. And, and by the way, we see that Avil Gadol needs a, a, an explanation because... If you go back to, the, the, this is a, bit, a scriptural, there's a scriptural pref, uh, precedence for this, and that's with the story of the mourning for Yaakov. It says over there that when, when Yosef brings his father's coffin, outside, they go all the way around, they don't go through the, to the, to the, to the Gaza area, they go all the way around, all the way coming like through the area of, of Jordan, and of this place called Goran Otto, then over there they had this big mourning. It says, V'yisbudusham mispit gadol v'kavid ma'id. They made a very, very big eulogy, a very heavy eulogy. 
So, so the, the Gemara asks, what does it mean? What, is, what, is, what does it mean? A big eulogy versus a small eulogy? A big morning versus a small morning? And the Gemara, as it's explained by the Marsha, and the Gemara in, 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 in Saita, and Dafid Gimel says it very interesting. It says that even the animals were dressed up in like black. You know, like the, sometimes the royal, royal horses have like, a, they, they, they wore black also. Even the animals are wearing black. In other words, the idea that a bigger morning necessitates an explanation. It can't just be a bigger morning. A big morning. No, it says here, Evil Gadol. And the Evil Gadol specifically says, by the third verse. Now, that, that's, that's what it means. And that's the meaning. So this, this, is, this is what the Medrash says, that the Evil Gadol became more and more and more intense. And it says, It says, some people did with a sackcloth. Some people didn't wear the sack. You know, every, every, the different levels of people's reaction. But one thing was certainly, the news got worse and worse. And basically, the Jewish people are sinking into what seems to be a quagmire of sadness, of brokenheartedness, of depression. They did not know that things are going to work out. But, as we're going to see, the amazing thing is, they decided we will die as Jews. Because the Alter Rebbe says in Torah Ur, if they would become so, you know what, we renounce our Jewish faith, we renounce our Jewish culture, we renounce our Jewish identity, call me Phoenician. I'm not Jewish. It's a famous story, a fundraiser once came to a certain house and knocked on the door. And the guy says, what do you want from me? He says, I'm here from the full of bully yeshiva and I'm collecting money. He says, what do you want? I'm not even Jewish. He says, no, no, our records, we have lists of here that says you were Jewish and we, we want to get money. He says, trust me, I'm not Jewish. He says, not only I'm not Jewish, my father, Allah Shalom, wasn't Jewish. <laughs> it, had they went ahead and said, my name is not Bernstein, it's, it's uh, McBeam, I, I, I'm somebody, and they, w- they, would have been, they could have escaped. They could have escaped. Not a single Jew did it. They said, we will die as Jews. And this is, this is the kind of spirit that Mordechai sought to evoke. And when there was a spirit of Mesir Nefesh, not that, Hashem is going to save us, we just have to be a little good. No, maybe, maybe it's not going to be good. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's over. We don't know. Marachai tries to give them hope, but he also tells them, I don't know. So when they live with Mesir Nefesh, the Mesir Nefesh of the Jewish people, the sacrifice, the, self, the self-sacrifice and commitment, the devotion, despite any cost, this is in the end what brings about the great miracle and salvation of Purim. Next week we'll continue with Esther's response.